This morning, we are continuing the series, um, One Another. And this morning, we are looking at uh, the commandment to live in harmony with one another. Uh, If I had to choose from a list of topics to speak on, (laughs) depending what's on the list, this wouldn't be high on my priority list. Um, But as I've studied this topic this week, as I've I've read the scripture and, and trying to understand why Paul wrote what he wrote, I came to two conclusions. Uh, One is that this is an excellent topic to talk on. (laughs) It is a great topic. And it is so timely. It is is the right message for this morning. Uh, I did not pick the schedule. Uh, Jim Van Eypren shared the schedule with us, uh, the One Another series. And so this morning we are looking at uh, living in harmony with one another. Next week, we will look at that wonderful S-word, submit, one to another. I have told you a couple of times how I worked under somebody who had an uncontrolled temper, and it was so hard to submit, so hard. In fact, in the school that I was at, in the first six years, I answered to seven leaders, It was chaotic. So I will share more of that story next week as we look at the subject of submit one to another. Last week, Ken Love, our area director for Church of God, spoke on the subject of chaos to kingdom. And he didn't touch on the one another topic, but yet everything he said had to do with one another. Because when we are in chaos and we drag that into the kingdom, we affect one another. When we are in chaos and we rally the church around us to help us, we enrich one another. So this morning I'm going to somewhat carry on the theme of chaos and the kingdom. And I'm also going to do it within the context of the life of David. So coming up on the screen here, there will be a picture of a book. And I don't recall if I have shared this book with you before. Uh, But I'm going to read one page to you. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. Who here is familiar with this book? it, It is one of the best Christian books ever. If you have been hurt by a Christian, you have to read this book. If you are a leader, you have to read this book. If you've ever been in a problematic relationship, you need to read this book. It is a short, easy to read book. It's less than 100 pages. Gene Edwards has done a lot of work with church in chaos, and he writes this in story form. It's really easy reading. And so David was a young man. He was uh, drafted into the army of Israel and became extremely successful. He went from victory to victory to victory. Everyone was singing about David, praising him. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. And that galled Saul. Saul grew jealous. Saul, Saul reigned over Israel for about 42 years. The first about two-thirds or three-quarters was great, successful. And then he started down this downward spiral. And right around, right around that time, David became one of his soldiers, one of his key uh, leaders. And David grew jealous. I mean, Saul grew jealous of David. 
And Saul tried to kill David numerous times. Take a spear and throw it at David. And what should David do in reaction? Well, that's the story of this book. So I'm going to read one page to you. And then I'm going to come back at the end of the message and read another paragraph to you. David had a question. What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Does it not seem odd to you that David did not know the answer to this question? After all, everyone else in the world knows what to do when a spear is thrown at them. Well, you pick up the spear and you throw it right back. When someone throws a spear at you, David, just wrench it right out of the wall and throw it back. Absolutely everyone else does. And in doing the small feat of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. You will prove that you are courageous, that you stand for the right, that you boldly stand against the wrong, that you are tough, that you can't be pushed around, that you will not stand for injustice or unfair treatment, that you are the, the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, the detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged, and all of these attributes then combine to prove that you are also obviously a candidate for kingship. King after the order of King Saul. There is also a possibility, David, that some years after your coronation, you will be the, the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in the kingdom. This morning, we're looking at the topic of harmony. What have you done? <laughs> in response to the message last week. That was an excellent message. We all left here encouraged, challenged, knowing that that was the right message for the right time. But what have you done since then in response to what God told you last week? You see, we, we can have the head knowledge. But unless we put it into action, that's all it is. It's just head knowledge. Every one of the one another commands will move us from chaos living to kingdom living. But we have to believe what God is telling us and we have to put it into practice. Somebody has said, and I shared this quote with you a few weeks ago, somebody has said that the primary activity of the early church was one another in one another. The primary activity of the early church was one another in one another. This morning we will look at the topic of harmony. What is, the, what is the opposite of harmony? Well, it's antagonism, conflict, discord, hostility, chaos. Harmony is used only three times in the Bible, and all three times Paul uses the word harmony. Colossians 3, Romans 15, and the passage that Dennis read this morning from Romans 12. So what is, what is the context of this passage? Well, Paul was in the city of Corinth in Greece and he's writing to the church in Rome. The Roman church was not very old. We don't know the size of it. It might not have been all that big. But it was a strong church, a solid church. And Paul wrote to the church in Rome in AD 57. 
he didn't know what was coming in seven years' time. God knew what was coming. Because about seven years later, there was this massive fire in Rome. And speculation was that the emperor Nero set the fire for his own amusement. And when word got out, and the accusations started swirling, that Nero had set the, set the fire, Nero blamed Christians. Because Christians would not bow to the pagan gods. So Christians must have upset the pagan gods, and so Nero blamed the Christians, and the first widespread persecution of Christianity began. And the, and the church was thrust into chaos. Not only that, the Christians were in some sense foreigners in their own land. Because they were living out their Christian faith in the middle of paganism. They were preaching and worshipping one God amidst polytheism, believing in many gods. They were preaching harmony and peace when their friends and neighbors were going to gladiator fights where men literally slaughtered each other. They were committed to moral purity when all around Rome were temples that celebrated immorality. They believed in the sanctity of life. But in the Roman Empire, life was cheap. Children were often sacrificed. And in the midst of all of this struggle to maintain their faith, Nero then blames them for the fire. And what happened to the church as a result? Christians turned on Christians. Christians betrayed Christians. There were some Christians who bowed to Caesar, declared him as Lord, and some Christians refused. And they paid the price. And when the dust settled, how would the church respond? How would the church emerge out of that chaos? How will the church treat those fellow Christians who had betrayed them? How will the church treat those who had bowed the knee to Caesar? In Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us, Do not be slaves to sin, but be slaves to righteousness. Romans 6 verse 12 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now that's a simple teaching. But the next verse is so important, because if we are going to live out this Christian walk, if we are going to move and walk more in the kingdom of God, we have to, we have to put into practice this next verse. Chapter 6, verse 13, the first part of it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Do not use parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. You can kill someone with your tongue. You can destroy someone's joy with your attitude. You can participate in someone's sin by listening to their gossip and their slander. You can deprive someone of a blessing from the Lord by withholding your hand of fellowship. Paul is saying, don't use any part of your body for unrighteousness. Instead, the second part of verse 13 says this, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In short, Paul is saying, present yourselves to God 
as instruments of righteousness. Present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. So let's make that commitment right now. I'm not talking about after the service, right now, this minute. You don't have to bow your head, you don't have to close your eyes, but in your spirit, tell God, if you're serious about this Christian walk, tell Him right now, Lord, I present to you every part of my body as an instrument of righteousness. If we lose focus on this, if we lose focus on the command that every part of our being God wants to use for righteousness, how slowly and how easily, not slowly, quickly, how quickly and easily we will slip into having those little parts of our body, maybe not the whole life that we live, but little parts of our body here and there, as instruments of unrighteousness. One of my favorite Bible commentators is a Scotsman by the name of Alexander McLaren. He lived in the 1800s, died in 1910. A great scholar. Uh, his, his language is kind of old, high English, but I love what he says. I, I read him all the time when I'm studying. And I'm going to quote him several times this morning. Here is the first quote. McLaren says this, Take care that none of the devil's leaven mingles with your zeal against evil. <laughs> Take care that none of the devil's leaven. What is leaven? It's like yeast. It's what makes things grow and rise. And in our zeal to be righteous, if in our zeal to fight evil, in our zeal to, to, uh, to dodge those spears people are throwing at us, if we take our eyes off the Lord, if we are not constantly wanting our, every part of our body to be tools of righteousness, it's so easy that the devil's leaven is going to mingle with our zeal against evil. So within, with that all said, within the context of Paul urging us to be instruments of righteousness, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Our text is just these six words, live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Two things that Paul is not calling us to. Paul is not calling us to coexist in the sense of the current coexist movement. This movement started, I think, 20, 30 years ago to try and bring dialogue between the three Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But really, the, the, the agenda there is to force us to water down and compromise our fundamental beliefs, and we cannot do that. And nowhere does the Bible say, live in harmony and compromise your beliefs. Not at all. Paul is calling us to live in harmony. The second thing this is, not, is that Paul is not calling us to ignore injustice. He's not calling us to not hold people accountable. But he is calling us to live in harmony with everyone. The dictionary definition of harmony coming from Webster 
is the just adaptation of parts to each other intended to form a connected whole. The just adaptation of parts to each other intended to form a connected whole. You and I are individual parts of this body. We're a connected whole. The King James Version translates the word that Paul, that, that the ESV translates harmony, the King James Version translates it be of the same mind. The NIV and ESV says live in harmony. So I delved into the meaning of the word harmony, and I want to share this with you. Um, and, and I don't mean to speak down to you, but it's going to get a bit complicated, and I want you to hang in there with me, because this is so, so important. The, uh, the Greek word that Paul uses for harmony has the root word phren, P-H-R-E-N. And Strong's Bible Concordance, or Bible Dictionary, says that the word phren in the Greek has this visceral and this cognitive element to it. Okay, you hanging with me? Now, those of you with medical minds know what viscera is, right? It's the intestines, it's your gut. And so, according to Strong's Dictionary of the Bible, when Paul uses the word harmony, he's talking about living harmony in your, in your gut level. Okay? Figuratively, it's your instinct. It's that first reaction, your gut. But Strong also says there is this cognitive aspect to it. The visceral cognitive is your mental, your mind, your thinking. But I want to add a third element to it. Because the word harmony and the need to live in harmony has both the visceral, the gut, the cognitive, but then it has behavioral aspect to it. So how does it play out? Well, somebody throws a spear at you. Somebody does something you don't like. You think it's wrong. Somebody makes that sly comment to you. And there's this gut reaction. And it grows. The leaven <laughs> grows. And it becomes a thought, cognitive. And then the action. Have you allowed the Lord to sanctify your viscera? That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Have you allowed the Lord to control your gut reactions? Have you ever said something and done something and afterwards you thought to yourself, why on earth did I say that? Or maybe somebody has come to you afterwards where you had no clue that your gut reaction resulted in this cognitive thought that resulted in some behavioral activity that was so unrighteous. Then somebody comes to you and says, do you realize what you just said? And you stop and you think, oh my goodness, I didn't mean it to sound like that. There's this gut reaction. And if our viscera, if our, if if that deep-seated platform where our, our reactions stem from are not controlled and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, you are not going to be in harmony. How then are you going to be part of a church that needs to live in harmony? When I spoke on the subject two or three weeks ago, I told you the one and other commandments are about you. 
It's about me and about our behavior. And Paul is saying, you need to be in harmony. I'm not talking about some Eastern Zen thing. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit controlling those gut reactions. McLaren says this, going back to my Scottish friend. I don't know the guy, I've never met him. McLaren says this, the true hindrances to our having the same mind one toward another lie very much deeper in our nature than the region in which we keep our creeds. I'm going to paraphrase some of that. The true hindrances to our living in harmony one with another lie in our viscera. It lies deep down inside of us. Because our creeds are up here, our beliefs, it's up here. But down in the lower part of our heart and our gut is where that platform is that gives rise to the decisions and the actions. So what follows in this passage are eight instructions that Paul gives us, and we're going to work through those really quickly. The first one, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. It could be translated, give yourselves to lowly tasks. I hope none of you think that serving in children's ministry is beneath you. Haughty is pride. It's one of those gut reactions where our pride surfaces. You, you don't have to have the last word. You don't have to win a fight. You don't have to always be right. In fact, somebody said recently, you need to give yourself permission to be wrong. Jesus told us to do the exact opposite, didn't he? He said, take the lesser seat. When you enter into a banquet, don't, don't take the best seat. Take the lesser seat. Figur figuratively, don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Pick up the trash. Stick around and help clean up afterwards. Serve in ministries that make you feel uncomfortable. Reach out to that brother or sister that's just speared you. Second, never be wise in your own sight. Don't think of yourself too highly, in other words. Be careful of your opinions about yourself. Be ready always to learn. Always willing to take direction. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Do not, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The third point in verse 17, Repay no evil for evil. We would say, David, throw the spear back. David's advisor said to him, throw the spear back. <laughs> Repay evil with evil. Again, that's one of our gut reactions to respond in kind. God says, don't do that. Do not take notice of every little injury you sustain. Don't keep record of wrongs. Two wrongs don't make a right. Fourth point, still in verse 17. Give thought to do what is honorable. 
in the sight of all. Adam Clark, another great Bible commentator, says, labor hard to live honorably. Wow, I like that. Labor hard to live honorably. Abraham went through a couple of phases in his life where he was really messing up. And at one stage, God said to him in Genesis 17, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. When somebody throws a spear at you, Abraham, you be blameless. When somebody thrusts chaos on you, Abraham, you be blameless. When someone has clearly wronged you, walk before the Lord and be blameless. Paul says, be honorable in the sight of everyone. You and I have been watched. The world is watching us. The world is watching how we will walk out these next months. Your children are watching you. Walk before the Lord and be blameless. The fifth point Paul makes, verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, this idea, labor hard to live in peace. And sometimes that's so hard to do. So hard. With certain neighbors and friends and even family, God is telling us, live at peace. As much as you can, live at peace. Paul is not saying that strive to live at peace with someone, and if it's not working, knock the living daylights out of them. He's not saying that. He's saying live at peace. As much as what you can, your responsibility is to live at peace. So let's go back to the Scotsman. McLaren says this, Be sure that if there is to be enmity, it is all on one side. And that's not yours. There's some people who will just want to argue. There's some people who will just insist on having the last word. There's some people that will repay evil for evil. They might even repay your good with evil. God is saying within your power, you be at peace. You live honorably. For how long, you might ask? How many spears do I take? How many insults do I take? How, must, how long must I put up with the souls in my life? How, how long must I put up with that person who's over me, who has that uncontrolled anger? I'll tell you next week. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> but I, I stopped my thought. I'll tell you next week how my boss at the Christian school insulted my son's masculinity. And God's saying, submit. <laughs> and God's saying, live in harmony. And <laughs> it was so hard. So hard. So how many times? Well, you know what Jesus said, right? Within the context of forgiveness, but yet it applies here. He says, how many times? Seventy times seven. Right? I know that's hard. Six point, verse 19. Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Revenge is one of those gut reactions. 
It lies beneath here in our viscera. <laughs> David, take revenge. On two occasions, and you can read this, First uh, Samuel 19 and onwards, on two occasions, David had the opportunity to take revenge on Saul. David had to run for his life. Saul was after David. David did nothing wrong. And his advisors, his co-workers, his best friends are saying, David, kill the man. I'll go kill him. I'll put a stake through his head into the ground. Paul, in this passage, says, revenge is God's, not yours. In fact, it comes from Deuteronomy 32, just as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, Moses tells them, do not take revenge. Do not take revenge on those ten spies. Well, they were dead, but their offspring. Do not take revenge on those who fought us on the way. Do not take revenge on Egypt for the years of slavery. Revenge is God's, not ours. The seventh point, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If you are thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. You and I were once enemies of God, yet God fed us. You and I once resisted God, yet God clothed us. You and I have betrayed God with our sin, but yet God sustains our life. Be of the same spirit. Live in harmony, one with another. The last point Paul makes in this passage, verse 21, do not, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David, what Saul has done to you is evil. Respond. Retaliate. God tells us, do not overcome evil with evil. A doctor will never cut you open with a dirty instrument. You cannot clean a mess with a dirty rag. You can't bridge a gap by burning the bridge. You can't fight evil with evil. If you and I are going to be true followers of Jesus, if we are truly going to live in harmony, we have to allow the Lord to sanctify every part of us. And we have to resist the temptation to respond in any other way other than love and harmony. I'll read to you one more little paragraph from this great book. Unlike anyone else in spear-throwing history, David did not know what to do when a spear was thrown at him. He did not throw Saul's spears back at him, nor did he make any spears of his own and throw them. Something was different about David. All he did was dodge. Excellent book. So how are you doing? You know, 
You know those times when you say, why did I do that? Why did I react like that? Even after a process of thought, sometimes we think, why did I do that? God, God wants to control that inner part of you that gives rise to those thoughts and that behavior. And in, with an overview and a cloak of that, God is saying, live in harmony. As much as you possibly can, live in harmony with one another. Will you commit to that? Let's pray. Oh, door, oh, oh Lord, forgive us, Lord, for those times, maybe even in the past 24 hours, when we've said something we shouldn't have, when we've given somebody an attitude, even with saying a word, that just destroyed their joy. Lord, we, we recognize this morning that there are things inside of us that are not in harmony with your spirit. They're not in harmony with your word. Lord, I, I surrender those to you. I surrender them to you. And I ask that you would sanctify them. That you would deal with them. That you, Lord, would help me to be in harmony with you and your word. Because only in so doing, Lord, will I be able to be in harmony with my brothers and sisters here in this body. Help me, Lord, in this regard. Help us as a church to be an example to our children, to these hundred-odd kids who stood here on the platform as they watch us, as they listen to us. May they hear nothing and see nothing except our desire and attempt to live in harmony with one another. And Lord, when the world watches us, I pray that we would give them no reason no reason to question us. They would see that we are doing everything we can to live in harmony with one another. And then, Lord, when we are wronged, even when our advisors tell us that we were wronged, help us to follow the example of David never throw those spears back. We ask for your help, Lord, in this area. The worship team will come and lead us in a wonderful testimony of the amazing love of God that loved us when we were sinners. If you need somebody to pray with, there's an altar on your left. Someone will pray with you or you can come forward and pray on your right. Let's respond to the Lord as the worship team leads us. Let us stand together. the presence of Jesus the Nazareth.
la varanda la varanda walk around this marvelous love God has for us let the world see it let's pray may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you may the Lord give you peace God bless you Amen